in that when we see the season of Hajj pass, a season of righteousness, an opportunity to do certain deeds which Allah has promised for them great rewards. When we see it pass, and any opportunity pass, or any season of righteousness pass, uh, we should reflect, it should cause us to reflect on past opportunities in our lives in general. Because each day there are opportunities to do righteousness that we allow to go by without taking advantage of them. And this in fact is a sign of failure. This is a sign of failure in this life. When we miss the opportunities to do what would help us to succeed not just in this life but in the next life. What we find is that Allah in the Quran tells us وَسَارِعُوا إِلَى مَغْفِرَةٍ مِّن رَبِّكُمْ you should hasten to forgiveness from your Lord. And the verse goes on to say, in gaining that forgiveness, what you are hastening for is a paradise whose dimensions is that of the heavens and the earth. This is what Allah has promised us if we hasten to His forgiveness. His forgiveness not merely by saying Astaghfirullah I seek forgiveness from Allah but by doing acts of righteousness which would earn us Allah's forgiveness. Allah had also said in the Quran فَاسْتَبِقُوا الْخَيْرَاتِ that we should compete with each other in gaining the good things of this life. The good things which will benefit us not only in this life but in the next. We should race with each other for that. However, when we look around ourselves we look at those around us, we look at ourselves. What we find is that people are hastening to gather around them the dunya. They are competing with each other in how much they can accumulate of this life, of the pleasures of this life. How much money cars, houses, whatever. This is what people hasten for. This is what they compete in. And this is what is reflected in their conversation. When people gather, when they sit, they're not talking about how can we do further righteous deeds, what righteous deeds can we plan to do together, what good things can we do to benefit others Islamically and benefit ourselves. No, they gather and when they gather they talk about the home they're building back home. 
or the home they are building here, you know, what they have, how much money they are making, what their salaries are, how much rent you are paying, you know, the new car you just bought. I mean, this is what most of the conversation is about. And this is, what, this, this is clear evidence for us that we are losing in this life. We are failing in this life. Because, as the Prophet had said, Al Kayis Mandana Nafsa wa Amila Lima Ba'd al Maut. That the wise person, the person who has been blessed by Allah with wisdom, is the one who takes account of himself. He takes stock of himself. He checks himself. Are these opportunities being missed? Yes. Then I have to change my program. He changes his program in order that he would gain what Allah has promised after this life. As the Prophet went on to say, after checking himself, he works, he acts for that which comes after death. And the foolish one is the one who doesn't check himself, enjoys this life, and hopes that Allah is going to give him the best of the next life. <coughs> Such hopes are false hopes. This is something we find throughout the Muslim world today. Muslims who are Muslims in name only, not practicing Islam, but they have this great confidence that they are going to paradise in the next life. Yes, Allah is Ghafoor Rahim. Allah is the most merciful, most forgiving. So all of their trust, all of their hopes are based on the fact that Allah is most merciful. But they have not done the acts which would avail themselves of Allah's mercy. These are foolish hopes. This is a foolish person. And this is the situation of the mass of the Muslim world today. And because of that lack of action, that lack of utilization of opportunities which are presented daily by Allah for Muslims to avail themselves of Allah's mercy, then instead they are cursed by Allah. And what they find falling on them are the punishments of Allah, whether it is in Bosnia, Somalia, Kashmir or Philippines or wherever Muslims are, India, they are suffering under the punishments of Allah because they have not availed themselves of the opportunities which Allah has presented for them to work righteousness, to compete in righteousness, to establish the religion of Islam, the religion of Allah in their own personal life as well as in the communities around themselves.
they have not applied themselves. Because if we do not attempt not only to practice Islam ourselves, but to establish it around us, to establish it within communities, then we are failed. I'm not saying that if we fail to establish but have tried we have failed. No. If we have tried and failed we have succeeded. But if we have not tried then we have failed. There is no guarantee of success for our actions in this life though Allah has promised us success in the next life so what we know is that it is our duty to strive to make an effort whether we succeed in this life or not Allah has promised us in Tansurullah and Surkum that if we help to establish the religion of Allah then Allah will give us success this is His promise and we have to believe it and if we don't act in accordance with that statement of Allah then in fact we have not really believed we say we believe in Allah but we don't act in accordance with that belief that means in fact that we don't really believe then the Imam mentioned a hadith in which the Prophet further elaborated on this idea of utilizing opportunities in which he mentioned seven different opportunities which govern a man's life which if missed leads to failure in this life this particular statement of the Prophet ﷺ is a very comprehensive statement. However, in the presentation, I didn't hear the first point that he raised. Uh, did somebody? No, huh? Poverty? That's the one I thought was the first, but then he started to call that number two. So there was one before it. See, what I, what I got that he mentioned was poverty, uh, this is the things that we should uh, make use of before these particular things. These things, the things that we should uh, make use of before is poverty, you know, before poverty strikes us, before sickness, before sudden death, before old age, before the false Christ, and before the final hour. Huh? Oh, he, he includes that with the poverty? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 thought it was, I thought it was one point that he was describing. So, uh, what, what the Prophet ﷺ here tried to refer to, or referred to in, in his statement, you know, governs the main points in a human's life where there are certain transitions, where certain transitions take place. The first was then, uh, the wealth? Yeah, the first was then, you know, excessive wealth. That, um, 
if we are in a situation, a normal situation, where we are, we have enough to look after our needs, that we are not at that point diverted from remembering Allah, from worshipping Allah, unless we do not, or unless we utilize, we start to utilize all our energies in trying to gain the dunya around us. All of us safe right at this point in time or at a moderate stage. In comparison to people back home, where we came from, whatever. We are making some reasonable amounts of money. Maybe it's not as much as we would like, but it's reasonable amounts. It's enough for us to, to live com- relatively comfortably. And uh, this is an opportunity where there's not pressure on us. Pressure which would cause us to deviate. Pressure of excessive wealth. Although we think of excessive wealth as something that one seeks. Now right now, this is what people's conversation, we spoke about earlier, people's conversation tends to be about, you know, trying to gather more and more of the dunya around us. But in fact, the situation we are in right now is the ideal situation for us to worship Allah. To utilize our time and our energies in worshiping Allah, thanking Him for what we have. This is why Prophet ﷺ has said to look to those below us. Not those above us. Look to those below us. Because it would then help us to remember Allah's favor on us. The favors which He has given us, which we tend to neglect when we start to look to those above us, having more than us, of the dunya. So this is a general recommendation because when that excessive wealth comes, this is a monstrous fitna, which very few people manage to escape. When that excessive wealth comes, then people change. This is the history that we have seen, Muslim history. When Muslims went into Spain, when they went into to India, when they went, you know, wherever they went. Initially, when they first went in, that first generation were people, you know, who were very much concerned with the religion and living simple lives and establishing the rule of God, etc. But then after that rule was established, you know, and, and control uh, developed over large areas, then the wealth started to come in and then the people started to change. And then you find them deviating, going into all the various forbidden areas and they end up once they, they reach that stage of deviation where they start to compete and fight amongst themselves and the, the state breaks up into a number of little mini-states and then when the enemy comes back then some of those Muslim leaders of the mini-states join forces with the enemy to defeat the mass of the Muslims. That's the history. From the time of the Prophet after his time to today we look this is a general principle happening. And this is what we see in the states, various Muslim states today, in terms of the excessive wealth and what it has led them to. So, we should be very careful of this. And, you know, this is a, 
in a verse in one of the surahs at the end of the Quran where Allah says Kalla inna insana layatra and ra'ahul stagna that you know the individual, the human being becomes oppressive when he sees himself not in any need, he sees himself so rich, so powerful you know, he is not in any need of anyone or anything he forgets Allah he feels he has everything that one could have but the reality is that this is the height of misguidance this is opening one up to the worst of the calamities of Allah if not in this life definitely in the next because all the rich and the riches of the past they did not benefit those who had them the pharaohs who enslaved masses of people on a scale perhaps greater than anything else known in history to build for themselves these huge tombs which remain even till today the pyramids having themselves buried there and many of their slaves killed along with them and buried along with them to serve them in the next life because they believe when they came they were going to come back into the next life with all the treasures that were buried along with them and they needed slaves then there too so they had a number of their slaves hundreds of their slaves killed there and, and laid to rest in the graves waiting for them but the reality is that in Cairo Museum or London or Washington, whatever, you know, we find their bodies there, you know, embarrassingly displayed. They've been stripped of their clothing, They're looking horrible. So much for all that wealth and those that they killed along. That's the reality. That wealth which led them to believe that they were themselves gods. As Allah quotes Pharaoh saying, Ana Rabbukumul Ala. I am your Lord Most High. People oppress themselves and become oppressive with that wealth. At the same time, the opposite of that is extremes of poverty. That a Muslim again in that moderate state that we are. It's very important for us to utilize this opportunity before extremes of poverty strike us. Because again, when people fall into extremes of poverty, this can cause people to turn away from Allah altogether. Now people ask, why me? They can't be a God. Why should this happen to me? Why should it happen to my family, my people? In so many cases that you hear about that. Extremes of poverty which cause a person to become so concerned about his dunya, about providing, you know, food in, in his mouth, etc., that he will go at any length. He will disobey Allah in any way to get what is necessary for himself or his family to survive. Again, Prophet used to seek refuge in Allah from poverty though some people would have us believe that poverty is something which we should seek no Islam does not teach us to seek poverty you have certain mystic uh, movements 
who promote this idea of poverty. But in fact, Islam doesn't support it at all. Poverty is not something which is liked by Islam. Islam works to, 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 for the eradication of poverty. But at the same time, it does not seek excessive wealth either. That's why the systems are there for the distribution of wealth. And we know, in anything, when you go to extremes, then there turns out to be harm. The third point was that of sickness. That we have our health now. It is something that we tend to take for granted. I mean, whatever health we have now, it may be less than what we had before, but it's still more than many people have or that we could have in the future. We do have health now. And there's a lot of things that we can do. Going to make Umrah, you know, uh, extra prayers at night, etc., etc. These things we have, we have the ability to do this now. Then it's very easy situation to, for the situation to change. We'll be, we become so sick that we can no longer do these things. We wish to do them, but we can't. Because we'll become sick. And we will regret then the opportunities that we had before. And this is uh, uh, related also to some of the practices like Hajj, you know, where people tend to leave Hajj into the latter part of their lives. This is wrong. Hajj should be done once you are able. Once you are physically able, economically you have the means, you go and do it. Don't leave it until the the latter part of the life, you know, when you have one foot in the grave. I mean, this is what traditionally Muslims do around the world, but this is wrong. Because you may become so sick you can't make Hajj anymore. And not only that, you may die before. And you would then have been sinful in having not done Hajj when you were able to and delayed it. This is a sin. It's wrong. Furthermore, Prophet ﷺ warned of sudden death. Again, you know, death is around the corner. This is why the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us to go to the graveyard. He said, I used to prohibit you from going to the graveyard. But now I command you to do so. Go to the graveyard because it reminds you of the next life. It reminds you of your own impending death. That you could be there. Any, at any moment. And that's something, sudden death. You see it catching people. All the time. Car accidents, accidents in the home, etc., etc. People just die. Somebody who was your friend yesterday, dead today. This is something that can happen to any of us. So we should not feel complacent. We should not be complacent. Whatever opportunities we have now, we don't know when we may lose them. And of course, when a person dies, that's it. There's no more coming back to do good deeds. There's no more means of continuing to do good deeds. The only things that can help us are the good deeds that we have done which are of continuing value. We've done some charitable works. We've taught others that knowledge and the charitable works we've done continue to earn good reward for us. And our children, if we have raised them properly, when we die, their prayers for us continue to help us. So this is what we have to do. We have to raise our children properly. 
so that they would pray for us after our death. And we have to try to use what Allah has given us in this life in such a way that it would continue to benefit us after we pass. So the majority of our energies should be spent in doing righteous deeds of continuing value. Also old age, as Allah refers, describing how He created man, where He starts from a stage where He was unable to take care of Himself as a baby, having no knowledge and able to do nothing for Himself. People have to look after Him. And some people He caused to go back to that state again in the latter part of their, their life, where they become so old and senile and decrepit, etc., they can't take care of themselves. Somebody has to take them to the toilet and everything. Their minds are gone. They can't pray or anything. This is a state that may happen to any of us. And inshallah, we should use our knowledge and consciousness that Allah has given us now to make the best of our opportunities now before such a situation arises. The false Christ Masih al-Dajjal is something about which the prophets before all warned their followers. The false Christ. Who would be a trial to mankind because he will have certain powers. Allah will give him certain powers which will make him seem like a prophet or even God to those who are ignorant and who will end up following him because of his claims and the works that he does which appear so miraculous we have to know what Islam is and understand it properly otherwise we will be caught up in it you have many many Muslims whose concept, understanding of Islam is so distorted that if the false Christ comes they will be amongst his immediate followers because they think that what makes a man holy is the ability to do magic miracles what they consider to be miracles you have them various uh, holy men just looking at a magazine last night National Geographic, they were talking about Mauritius. And they gave some examples of Muslims in Mauritius. One example was that of Shiites who had these, they were in the Muharram procession, where they had all these, um, like, uh, spikes stuck into their bodies. And they were walking down the street with these spikes in their bodies, in their cheeks, in their face, in their tongue, and ears, and all this. And then the other example they gave was of a Muslim holy man from one of the Sufi sects there, you know, who was taking a sword and sticking it through his, uh, his jaw. This is the sign, this is what makes this man holy to the people around him, because he can take a sword and stick it through his jaw. Of course, this is common in the non-Muslim societies. You know, you have those who, Buddhists who admire those who are able to walk on coals, you know, hot stones that are heated 
to the point where they're if you drop a piece of paper on it it will just burn up and they walk on it with their feet you know this is a sign of reaching the peaks in spirituality and others you know the uh, Hindu yogis and the others who are able to twist their bodies and do all kinds of wild things which the average person can't do some of them bury themselves in the ground they cover them up with dirt they will stay there for three four days and then they come back up alive I mean these kind of things which appear to the people to be miraculous and therefore it causes the people to submit to these and worship these people see Islam teaches us the falsehood of all that the satanic origin of all that but if a person does not understand Islam they don't understand Tawheed who Allah is what is man then when Dajjal comes and he calls the earth and tells it to give up its treasures you know and gold and silver will come up to the surface of the earth and he will cause rivers to flow in front of him like paradise people will just be of his followers he will fire an arrow into the sky and say he's going to kill God and the arrow will come down covered in blood and people will take him as a God and many will be amongst those who call themselves Muslims so it's very important for us the opportunity that we have now to find out and know what Islam is and to teach that to our families so that they don't become followers of the false Christ when he comes because he is coming without a doubt and the last of the seven trials is that of the final hour which Allah describes mankind as being in a state as if they are drunk they will be stumbling around in a dazed state as if they are drunk but they are not drunk because of the, the deep because of the, the deep and terrible trials of that hour to put man in that state we have to try to prepare ourselves to do what we can in this life before that hour comes an hour which Allah has promised and which is coming and can come at any time a time when the only thing that is going to benefit us is our faith and righteous deeds and the Imam closed off the first part of the khutbah with the surah known as At-Takafur the accumulation which speaks to all that we have spoken about Al-Hakum At-Takafur the people of this life are fooled by the competition in accumulating the dunya the treasures of this life until they visit the graves not by choice visiting the graves here means when they are lowered into the graves and this competition will cause them to be so distracted in this life 
that they won't realize the foolishness that they were involved in until they die and are being lowered into their graves. This is when they finally realize, ah, made a mistake. But it's too late. Kalla sawfa ta'lamu. Thumma kalla sawfa ta'lamu. This is when you will know. Allah repeats it, emphasizing that for a lot of people it is going to be a big shock. A big shock. If only you knew with a certainty that you will see the fire. And you will see it with Ayn al See it with a clarity which is incomprehensible to us in this life. When we hear about it, when seeing it is something else. And at that time, Summa Tusalunna and at that time, you will be asked about the pleasures of this life. And that's when you don't want to be asked about it. You are caught. You will see the fire. You will know that's where you are headed. And you will be asked about this life and the things of this life which you were given. And about your competition in trying to gather it. And you know that every answer you give will be further confirmation for you going to hell. This is a state we should all fear. And that fear should lead us to act in accordance with Allah's command to strive to compete with each other in righteousness in this life. And for those of you coming back from Hajj, the Imam went on to say, May Allah accept your Hajj. May it be the Hajj Mabrur, the one which is blessed by Allah, so that when you have returned, you return from the Hajj, pure from sin like the day you were born. Because you had a Hajj which was in accordance with Allah's command, لا رفث ولا قسوق ولا جدال في الحج. You are not involved in any kind of lewdness. And Hajj is a circumstance of great trial for people with regards to lewdness. Because there are so many circumstances where women will be around you. Women who may be coming from countries where they are not properly trained in terms of how to cover themselves so they may be exposed they may be due to the crowds or whatever pushed up against you and all these other different things there's a big trial that you do not fall into a state of lewdness during the Hajj or to, into a state of bad words so many opportunities there where people will step on your feet and knock you down and all kinds of things for you to curse and to shout and to, you know, become abusive. 
or others become abusive to you and for you to join in the abuse. An argumentation, whether physical or verbal. If one manages to pass through the Hajj without being caught up in any of these things, remembering Allah throughout, fulfilling the requirements of the Hajj, then Allah has promised forgiveness, which takes him back to the beginning. However, the Imam said, he is surprised to see certain people who are very to say um, anxious and very uh, definite about making Hajj regular. They'll make Hajj every year. Every year comes, they'll be making Hajj. You know, it's like something you've got to do, but they don't pray five times a day. You have people like this. He said, this is delusion. This is foolishness. If you're not praying five times a day, that Hajj is useless. Because Islam begins with Salah. It's the distinction between belief and disbelief. Whoever abandons it, neglects it, gives it up, has fallen into a state of disbelief. So it's like President Clinton coming and making Hajj. I mean, what is it going to do for him? Nothing. So this is the kind of, you know, Hajj you will be making if you are not establishing prayer then such a hajj is of similar value. Useless. So, just a reminder for those coming back that the reward from Allah is for Islam. A way of life. Not a ritual. That we have to live Islam throughout our lives for the rewards which Allah has promised us for Hajj or for any of the various righteous deeds to come to us, we have to live Islam. So, as we said, the topic of today's khutbah was one of missed opportunities. The passing away of the period of Hajj, opportunity to fast and to slaughter, this is an opportunity which has passed us. If we have not benefited from that season of Hajj, or even if we have benefited, likely we have not benefited fully or completely, we should reflect with its passing, the passing of that season, on opportunities which pass us throughout our lives. Because the season is a major opportunity, but in our daily lives, in our waking hours, there are many opportunities passing us. Our spare time spent much of it in foolishness. We have to be careful. We have a responsibility to utilize our health, our wealth, our time, everything that Allah has given us our age, our youth, etc. We have to utilize this in accumulating around ourselves the things which will benefit us not only in this life but in the next. 
Inshallah, if there are any um, comments anybody would like to make concerning the topic of the khutbah or any questions anyone would like to raise. come to our mind that may be from shaitan it may be from the circumstance we find ourselves in however natural reactions whatever but then when we dwell on it because we have the opportunity when that comes to our mind or whatever to either dwell on it to say a'udhu billah seek refuge in Allah put that aside and carry on or we can dwell on it once we dwell on it that leads us to either speak or to act on it this is when now those circumstances can become sinful for us and be considered amongst the lewdness which may occur during Hajj or Umrah. Any further questions or comments? Can you raise your voice, please, brother? I just returned from Mars, and while I was there, one of the brothers that was with me, he made a statement that um, while on Mars, you can make liberal things or errors or things, which would be considered a scratch on your heart, or you can make a big thing, which would be just eliminating that. And he gave the example of sacred is a woman busted against you and you get excited over it. But you don't do anything other than that. You don't hit her or put your hand in any bag. He referred to them as a scratch. And if you make it 
Well, uh, our brother is suggesting that um, during Hajj you may make minor sins, which the person referred to as being a scratch on your record, or major sins which can destroy your Hajj altogether, or the benefits from your Hajj. Uh, this is, as a general statement, yes, true. Uh, minor sins which Allah may forgive, excuse, and major ones which He may not. Uh, however, that which comes to your mind as a result of a circumstance which you had no control over, this would not be considered amongst the minor sins. This wouldn't be considered amongst the minor sins. Because circumstances where we have no control, which is according to the destiny of Allah, Allah is not going to punish us or to consider it against us if it is not by our choice. So, the minor sin may come when a person says something, a lesser sin, than when he acts on it. You know, he may say something to his... If I were to give an example, I would say, say, if he said something to the other person with him, you know, boy, isn't that woman so and so and so, uh, that would be his minor sin. What if he yields to temptation and he steals something or he caresses a woman or he gets into a fist fight or a physical fight with another hajj? Okay. And he has no concerns of attacking uh, But for this, for this, uh, this, this is a major, right? Because that actually breaks the haram. But if you get into a fight or you curse somebody or something like that, these are amongst the things you should not do when in hajj. But they are not, in and of themselves, acts which would break your state of the haram. Okay, so it's like this. No. It is not forbidden. No. A person at home, one is not making hajj, uh-huh. not in a state of ihram. Mm-hmm. But even if a person, you see, the point is that this is what a person who is intending to make uh, the sacrifice is uh, told not to clip his nails or cut his hair. But if he does so, does that mean he cannot sacrifice now? No. No. This is just like it's a, it's a kind of a recommended thing, and also the sexual relations is not included in that because he's not going into actually a state of the haram. But he's just doing some of the things similar to a person in Ihram. At the end of the 10 day period, do we have to get our hair cut? No. But if you have not cut, you know, I mean, you have, there's a general recommendation in many cases for clipping of the, the nails and cutting the hair, that this, you know, should not exceed 40 days. Right. I mean, but so it's not a requirement. No, because, see, the cutting of the hair, again, is coming out of Ihram. 
and you didn't enter into a haram so that is not a requirement for you to do so but you may do so at the end of the 10 days okay inshallah we'll close subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk